Welcome to Create Your Bliss with Nika Annan, where we explore journeys of creating amazing lives, making a difference in the world, um, by talking to people who have work which profoundly changes the world or people in the world. And today we have the wonderful opportunity of talking to Ravi Das. Ravi Das, whose publications are under Don Van Houten, is an Ayurvedic practitioner, a Feldenkrais teacher, a certified massage therapist specializing in various types of soft tissue message, methods such as craniosacral and visual touch of awakening. Ravi Das teaches in the United States, in Europe, Costa Rica, and New Zealand. He has a private practice here in Santa Fe, and he also teaches wonderful quarterly classes that are life-changing. He's been in the field of body work and personal development for 44 years and is an associate instructor at the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico. He is the author of Ayurveda and Life Impressions Body Work, which is available on, web, on Amazon. I saw it there this morning. Ravi Das's most current teaching combines principles and practices from Ayurveda, osteopathic medicine, and the Feldenkrais method, amongst others. Ayurveda and life impression body work embraces the fact that we are spirit that has become form. Our physical, emotional, mental, and energetic aspects developed from embryonic stages to this moment hold information for personal growth. By exploring our form with great care, safety, and support, movement exploration, and hands-on contact, we tend to arrive at once more the indwelling spirit from whence we began. Ravi Das teaches that we all have holding patterns that are habitual, and they leave an historical imprint on the membranes of the body. These membranes store our actions, our experiences, our emotions, and belief. They, in turn, represent our impressions of life in a hard copy of flesh, and his work involves rewriting our code. Welcome, Ravi Das. I'm delighted to be talking to you. Thank you. It sounds like you've already covered everything necessary. <laughs> no, now we get to talk about the process. So, uh, okay. Um, so, what is it that you do? Like, you mean, say that again. What What do you do? <laughs> what do I do? Ah. Well, you mean you mean in in life and uh, well, in, in body work or in your work? Well, how is it that you honor? the fact that we are spirit become form. Okay, here's, I, here's, a, here's how I would like to start. I, okay. I think it will make sense as we go along. I, um, you know, there's been several um, versions of um, Ayurveda and life impressions body work. And the, the current way that I'm seeing life and seeing how bodies can hold and store our belief systems and therefore influence our mind and back and forth from the mind to the body is um, what I call life impressions that as we go through um, our life in fact starting from birth we start to find um, at a very very early age that uh, it's cold when we come out of the womb and all of a sudden we're in this cold environment and the first thing we experience is a need to protect. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's maybe our first and uh, foremost uh, insult in, in life or maybe we could call it that or, or need for some kind of uh, impression. You know, if something has been experienced in this young body and the next thing we know we're we're influenced by it because of our beliefs and because of temperatures and because of being in the body, many things start to accrue. And I call these these events, these big events, such as birth, which is maybe one of the biggest in our life, mm -hmm. and then going through life, the various things that we encounter that we build a belief system around, such as uh, maybe at a, young, a little bit older age, we start to... We have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and um, uh, for whatever reason, they decide uh, we're not the one for them, and a heartache occurs. So now we have um, something we, we would like to avoid. We find a new partner, and we're in great joy. So these, these events of sliding up and down in our feelings and beliefs 
start to register time after time in the mind and in the body um, as the mind starts to think about how we develop and experience things it starts to shall we say write it down in the, in our own little mental records there about oh uh, cold is not comfortable uh, warm hugs are great and we get all these things categorized and we continue to live life from that point on due to these life impressions I'll stop there for a moment and see how that's that's cooking for you well I think that's very um how do I say, like relevant to everybody because we all have these experiences and then we create a pattern of life, but then we seem to not be aware that we can change it. Yes. So that, that's where it comes into what do we do with this stuff called life impressions body work or Ayurveda and life impressions body work. Um, it, it, this method is quite different in terms of... Um, coming out of a pattern uh, of helping somebody else to, shall we say, awaken to their options in life, as opposed to attempting to fix, quote-unquote, somebody, uh, the method is designed around both in, it's, it's combined a, a movement therapy and a hands-on uh, bodywork therapy. And these are both designed not to correct from a perspective of the teacher or of the practitioner but to help the person who is taking the bodywork session or the movement class and help them to start to rediscover themselves and possibly discover some facts that um, are not correct, such as uh, does effort in trying to overcome a problem really work? And it's, it's become evident in, in my observation of teaching for a, a certain period of time and uh, helping people discover their bodies, rediscover their bodies in a way that um, effort is quite often the part of the the experience that keeps the pattern in place. So these are surprising to to most people and probably um, questionable in in some people's attitudes about well, how can you break up a hard belief system or a hard muscle? A compact structure around your shoulder or your neck or something with just gentle attention. Well, it's been found that the, the more aggressive you go after a problem, the deeper it tends to, to go into the system. It's just like, you know, from uh, the beginning of our life, we automatically are born with a fear of falling, a fear of pain and those sorts of things. So we start to feel pain, we withdraw. So the idea of going back to this method of very, very gentle approach to learning how to move differently and learning how to let go of strain in a bodywork session is not necessarily revolutionary, but it's, it's different in the relative to the traditional ways of um, correction. I'll give you a moment too to check in on that one if, the, if you have some response to it. No, because I, I do, because I think that it also engages the person at a very deep level. Yes, yes. So that you are not being done to as a participant or as a, I don't even know, clients, not in any but you are um, engaging your own body and, and your own nervous system and that belief system all at the same time. And I have one more thing, and, and, and it applies again to the movement lessons as well as the body work. We endeavor to um, validate the, the potential that's, that's available for self-correction. Mm -hmm. all, of, all of what's offered in terms of movement lessons and or hands-on treatment is designed to help the person find their own options as opposed to uh, label this is the correct way to do it and what you were doing was incorrect to see you hurt yourself. Well, that has little bearing on one's ability to relearn how to um, live a life that's comfortable. And so the focus is very much on learning, not on doing it right. Exactly. And there is, and you, I'm very happy this, this was uh, mentioned earlier in your description, 
for me, it's about coming back to who we really are in, in underneath this body and maybe behind this life, we are spirit. Mm-hmm. And that, that uh, holds a very deep and important part in the process of Ayurveda and Life Impressions body work and in me personally. And can you talk a little bit about that and what that means in terms of being embodied? Yes. As I understand it, and I'm going to be the first to announce that I don't understand everything, and there's so much more that I don't understand than I do, <laughs> but speaking from my own experiences in myself, I have felt and I have seen it in so many people that underneath all the difficulties, whether they be emotional, mental, or physical, uh, is the spirit. It's the one that somehow got on the wrong track and decided, well, um, I guess to learn and grow and so forth, I'll have to be reborn here and try it all again. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that the, the body or the, the spirit was the first um, of our true nature, and then we start to build a body uh, with uh, the belief systems and with the tissues and all that sort of thing that came about with um, uh, the birthing process. So if we, and I, I'm struggling a little bit for language here, and I know you've talked about it a moment, if we engage the spirit in this process, how does the body respond, the nervous system, the bones, the, the patterning in the body? How does it respond to... Well, my experience, and it's, it's bared out over many years now, is that if we just begin a lesson on the floor where people are just lying down or a bodywork session with the idea of just being, no, no expectations, uh, the person is lying on the table or the person is lying on the floor preparing to do a movement class, the same intention from me as a teacher or a practitioner is how can I just give them space to just simply be? knowing full well that they came into the bodywork class with a, an assumption of, well, I'm, maybe I can fix this based on the, the flyer that went out, or maybe I can improve that. Um, that might be true. Same thing is, is true in a bodywork session. Somebody comes in with a painful neck or back or something. Of course, their intention is to relieve themselves of that problem. But my first intention is to help them remember who they are or give them at least some time before approaching, a, you know, moving tissues about or asking them to move on the floor, is just give the person some time to be with themselves. And that sounds like a very simple thing, and it sounds like it's maybe even useless in some people's mind, but it's not. If you really, really give that time and help the person or people on the floor, uh, if it's a movement session, to recognize that there is no rush with this that what you learn, even by doing nothing, has great value. So again, I'll stop there and see if there's questions or response from from that much. Yes, so we have used the word learn a lot. And what does it mean in in this context? And what is, that's an, an, an action or a way of being. So can you... Talk a little bit about the learning process and yes. what all it involves. Um, in I, I might even switch from the, from the word learning to remembering. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think about um, as we were children, we didn't have a booklet that came with us, and we certainly couldn't read a booklet if we had one, mm-hmm. but we explored. And we found from within ourselves uh, a gradual awakening into how we could move, how we could think, how we could breathe, how we could eat, all these things that we had to learn at that point. We spent countless hours in our cribs or on the floor exploring our toes, exploring our back and moving and so forth. And all these things were um, self-discovered at a very early age. And they were discovered, hopefully, without too much interference from the outside world. We had the time to play in our cribs. We had the time to do these things, all of which taught us or we discovered ourselves how to um, crawl, how to creep, how to raise up on our hands and knees, how to eventually stand, and how to eventually walk. 
Now, all of that stuff is still in us. So I take that as a, a fact, which it is for most people, and then when they arrive on my table or on the floor, I start to think about, okay, so what 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 happened between that time of childhood grace and ease and tremendous amounts of energy? How did it occur from that point to how we find ourselves in peril, in, in difficulty, in, in wanting to find a, uh, an easier way, find our way back to ease and comfort? So that's that's an attitude going back to this um, investment in our spirit and, and the idea of remembering is we want to have time as we begin to move you know, on the floor or as we begin to feel our tissues move for us to be able to recognize the history of wisdom that's, re- that's uh, embedded in our system, in our tissues, in our nervous system, in our elements. Uh, uh, we're not just tissues and bones, we're composed of five elements. So I'll, again, take a little break and see how that settles in. I really like this process because there's the the time and the break, which we do a lot in the movement classes, and, and exactly. a little time of space and 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 quiet to sit with that. Yes. As you as you were talking, what came up for me, and having just held my new grand nephew in my arms last night, is how much delight and curiosity and engagement there is in infants exploring in that way. Mm-hmm. And we can we still have that that infant part of us alive, and uh, you know that there's uh, it needs a little bit more exploration. For for example, I I have this memory of seeing my my uncle when he was in his latter part of life. He was about eighty four or something like that. He'd had a heart uh, heart attack and uh, various other events that can occur at that point in time. And I met him at the airport where he picked me up, and uh, I said, uh, Uncle Roy, how are you doing? And he says, you know, inside I feel the same. The body doesn't feel the same anymore. <laughs> it doesn't get me around like it once did. But that that part I, I found to be so profound, and it, it actually arose last night as I was thinking about our, our little discussion here that was impending, is we still have that part of ourselves inside that's just the same. It always is the same. And I think of it not only as possibly reference to the little child, but reference to the to the great spirit that is existing in us and manifests all of this that we see and do in, in front of us. And another break. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a way to reconnect with that. I, the first uh, movement class of yours I went to, I was lying on the floor and I have had a couple of injuries and I said to my body, you know, what if we went back before those happened? And my spirit said back to me, hey, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Why do we, you know, why stop someplace where it was limited already? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was, Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that because this idea of going back is, is sort of paramount in the 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 Feldenkrais version, I, I do a little different version than traditional Feldenkrais, but that's a basis for what I do in the movement classes. But there is a re- reference to uh, many lessons where we might find ourselves on all fours crawling about the room. And, you know, somebody looking from the outside might go, well, geez, you know, we're, we're no longer uh, little children. We, we should learn to stand and do other things. But oftentimes in in our developmental um, periods of time in life, we don't get adequate time to uh, develop all these sequences from crawling and creeping and eventually coming up to standing. Or we injure ourselves in such a way that the natural cross-crawl method, the, the dynamics within the body cannot manifest any longer, and then movement lessons or body work is... is uh, presented to help us remember again. I also think that many of us need a, need help undoing the patterns of physical exercise that are taught. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> that it has to it has to be effortful and 
Yes, yes, and I, I, I'm a, you know, I, my history is is built on that sort of thing. I was an athlete early in my life and played football and basketball and played almost everything and beat myself up quite a bit to a point where I was shaping myself around a football player. I was shaping myself around a basketball player, and mm-hmm. I forgot my original shape. I forgot the malleability that we all deserve and need as life progresses, and certainly as life gets into the later stages, we need to have that full expression uh, as much as possible of flexibility and um, a chance to reshape ourselves moment by moment. It's very beautiful. Oh, by the way, I'll add one thing from one of my teachers, Ron Kurtz. He said, we shape ourselves based on our beliefs and experiences in life, which I I treasure that and find it to be absolutely true over and over in my life. Can you say that again? We shape ourselves around our beliefs and experiences in life. From that, you know, we see how things are behaving around us and we go, oh, it's winter now and it's cold. So we contract and we put more clothes on and we put more heavy boots on to a point where we kind of stumble around like a little snowman out there for a while. And um, summer or winter starts to pass and then we still have these armored places in ourselves against the cold wind and so forth. These are things seasonally that the the older tra- traditional medicines, such as Ayurveda and acupuncture and others, treat uh, the the needs of the person uh, on the season, so that we can shape ourselves again for the coming spring and the coming fall and the coming summer and so on. So these are things that are um, missing in our Western lifestyle. We don't pay much attention to them anywhere any, anymore. We just when it's warmer, we take off our jacket, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, another cold wind comes blasting in, and we got the flu. And we don't see ourselves as part of the whole in that way, and that. Oh, that's a whole other big story. You're right, <laughs> you're right with that one. Yes. Yeah. And it's you know that's possibly the first insult as we took birth is we maybe assumed at that point or still do that we were now separate from the place from which we came and we never are we never have been and these are you know very deep experiences that uh, people meditate on people go to you know workshops on and do all kinds of things and it you know it just occurred right from that very beginning of um, waking up in in uh, a form a body form so the the efforts that are the offerings that I have for for people is these movement classes and body work and so forth to come back to who you really are yes you'll still retain your body but to start coming back to something bigger than the body something that preceded the body and will always be there maybe we can call it a greater mind than the little daily mind that we operate from and in your work how do you see those, perceive those changes in people. As somebody gets off the table after a session with you, what are you responding to in the changes in their being? Okay, well, I got a few little things on that one. First of all, I mean, quite often in that first contact, let's say a person is lying on a table and I just put my hands under their head or maybe at their feet and I just wait. I give them the time that they don't usually have anymore in their life or don't take is a time to just experience nothing mm-hmm. or whatever is, their nothing is filled with. So even at that point, something is already transpiring in the person recognizing that, whoa, I haven't been here for a long time. <clears throat> and then applications of some hands-on in a way where literally I will, if let's say uh, my neck is kind of compressed on the right side, rather than thinking in an anatomical terms of, oh, that shouldn't be like that because they don't look like the anatomy book, let me twist it out and pull on it so it looks like the other side. Well, from my way of looking, that's totally disrespectful to the fact that they're compressed in that area for a reason. Mm-hmm. For me to assume that it's not right because I'm, I've looked at an anatomy book is, in my opinion, rather inappropriate. 
So again, this is quite different than traditional fix-it therapy, is I will take the neck and head very, very gently and compress it even a little bit more. Take them further into the pattern that they've established so they understand why it's there and how they got there so they could conceivably get out of it. And that's big. I mean, it's it's not something that you can just do lightly and let it go and move on to someplace else. You've got to hang with it for a little while so the person really gets a sense inside. And this is this is not... This is no longer working with the intellect. This is working with the body, which doesn't think in that way, doesn't behave through the analysis of all these uh, concepts. It just senses. So you compress into the way that they're already going, and they learn something. Oh, I, I know how I got here. And as you decompress very, very slowly, they begin to know how to get back out of it. And if you repeat that many, many times for an hour or so in a very gentle and respectful fashion, paying attention to how and uh, how they're organized, they start to self-correct. And you can see it every step of the way on the table. Finally, just as a scenario, at the end of it, I'll say, okay, go ahead and lie for a few minutes. I'll meet you out in the front office. They come out sometimes, and I watch this very carefully, sometimes they'll look at me like, oh, what have you done for me? It's so wonderful. As soon as I see that, I say something like, oh, you feel good, huh? And they might say, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I say, it's your own fault. (laughs) And I I say it jokingly, but I'm quite serious in that they have made the corrections within themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just a tool for them. I'm just there to pay attention and possibly to offer comfort that they've been lacking for a certain period of time until such a point in the work where they can find the comfort that's already in them. Beautiful. So what I hear is how many different levels you pay attention on. Yes, yes. And I, I, you know, as as you said, and I, I, I reckon with it, the thing that I pay attention to most in my own life and uh, respect most in other people is the spirit. I, I feel that the body uh, has been made from the spirit, and um, we need to keep that at least awake in our, our existence. And I'm not talking religion, I'm talking spirit. Spirituality is very different than religion. But um, I, I find that so important to respect, either either without words or sometimes people ask something about it, but just non-verbally, in, in many cases, I'm touching them as if they were absolutely sacred. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I consider, and I've used this in, in movement lessons, of you're entering, your, as one is lying on the floor and doing some movements, recognize that you're re-entering your own temple. And I do the same thing in teaching classes, bodywork classes. You have a great honor to be accepted into somebody else's temple. And it's, again, I can, I can hear a, uh, another version coming from a more um, mainline physical therapy or orthopedic mm-hmm. approach saying, well, you know, this is just hippie kind of stuff. It's not. It's who we are. It's who we've always been. And uh, I'll stick with that until I drop off the planet. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very true. And I think that in Western culture, we don't have very many ritualized ways of contacting our spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't even know if ritualized, but we don't have any patterns in our lives that that's the assumption of. Yes, yes, I agree. And so then we put a burden, I think, not only on the mind, but on the body and the nervous system to carry responsibilities that are not theirs. Yes, yes. Yeah, I agree. And so... So as you create this space for someone to re-enter their own temple and connect to their spirit, um, what is that process like? Well, it depends on, on what's called for. I, I, I have a number of things that I've studied over the years, everything from deep tissue work to 
what's called uh, biodynamic cranial therapy, and uh, they range from uh, a, a significant solid contact known in Ayurvedic medicine as tamasic to break up congestion to a mo- moving kind of contact, which again, movement on the floor and those movement lessons. And then there's this very subtle lever, level, it's called sattvic in Ayurvedic medicine, where it's just so delicate that it draws you back to where you came from. It draws you back to the subtlest energies from which all the rest of the more gross body was built. And these these levels of reckoning uh, are so important to to know when to apply uh, when it's appropriate, not just because it says so in the book or it seems like it's, it's a solid contact of the tissues that the tissues just aren't differentiated, they're not fluidic and then they're not getting life force. Uh, that doesn't necessarily, uh, as a therapist, give you the right to just go start pummeling in there. You need mm-hmm. to recognize that there's consciousness in there. There's a living body underneath that. And quite often, sometimes just simply laying your hand on there, having them breathe into it, take them into the contraction so that the, they begin to learn how to go there and how to come back out, is adequate to um, what would have been... Mm, uh, expected to use a, a heavier contact. Mm-hmm. And you let the spirit body combination tell you what's appropriate. Or yeah, and I, I don't, you, you know, I, if yeah. somebody comes in, I'm not necessarily going to start talking about spirit and all that sort of thing because, again, that, that too can be as inappropriate for some people as uh, a very hard contact on a delicate nervous mm-hmm. system. So I see where people are, and uh, as they breathe, as they speak about their life, as you know, their their first offering is tell me what you'd like to improve here, and from that I start to get information about how I could help them to self-correct. There's another pause. Yeah, no, but I I think that that's really. Really yeah, and you know, literally, I, I these pauses that I'm um, presenting here are partially for our thinking, but that's exactly what I do in treatment. That's exactly what I do in in movement lessons. You know, just to do a few movements and then go on to a whole bunch more and continue doing that, you don't have time to uh, digest it. So I, these pauses are important for many reasons, and one of the main reasons is if they're going to have a possibility of self-correcting, they need the time to do it. And that, going back to the learning idea, that's where it's really, really important to have some time between doing something, uh, maybe a movement lesson or uh, somebody doing some hands-on treatment for you, and then taking just a momentary break or two so that you can sense what's happened from that. Did I, you know, we can call it learning, we can call it um, the emergence of wellness or whatever, but Those little moments of time are equally as important as the actual hands-on or the moving process in in a class. And if they're not available, we just pile more stuff on, just like we did in our traditional education of how much can we jam into this individual and then how much can we get them to tell us exactly what we told them to, to learn and is there room for true learning, or is it just remembering or memorizing? You're yeah, just reiterating as opposed to understanding and knowing how to utilize the information. And yeah, finding it in themselves, because I, yeah. I personally feel that all knowledge is already there, including the knowledge of how they got into the auto accident, every little nuance of how the shoulders moved, how the head maybe flailed back and forth and so forth, all that is registered in the nervous system and in the, the life force of the body. If they can sense that and reverse it um, in very, very delicate contact, um, that's all that's necessary. You don't have to uh, belabor the point by um, you know, creating strong influence to the system. You know, I'll add one other thing here now that we're talking about types of touch and so forth. This uh, biodynamic uh, therapy is um, 
quite extraordinary because it, it addresses quite directly the flow of, I'll, I'm going to call it spiritual energy in the body. It's it's actually called the, the breath of life, and there's other terms that are used for, by this uh, method that there is a rhythm that is constantly present in a li- living form, and that rhythm is not just a, a fluid rhythm that carries fluids through the system. It's a rhythm that uh, moves through the tissues, moves through every component of a human being and carries the wisdom that built the body and carries the wisdom that can heal the body and literally can carry the wisdom to take us out of the body into appropriate time. Now that's something that's extraordinary, extraordinarily delicate to sense, but it can be sensed and once once it is from the practitioner's point of view, it starts to be evident in the recipient's point. They can start to sense in themselves. They may not know it because uh, sometimes getting to that level of, of oneself, the conscious mind starts to shut down. And the, the deeper qualities of this individual, call it spirit, call it higher levels of consciousness or some other terms, begins to manifest when the conscious mind begins to step back a little bit. We step back just there, so we can have a conscious, conscious thought about it, huh? Right, right. To, to, <laughs> to like, okay, no, because I think that's so important for people to hear. Is yeah. that there is that constantly in our body, and one of the things that I have experienced and that I hear you saying, although not not directly, is that there is a beauty and a grace, and I'm going to use the word a divinity to the body. That, yes, that yes. it is a sacred vessel, it is a temple. And that the introduction to seeing it as such, as opposed to a lump that we're, that moves us through the world, as this amazingly delicate, resilient, vital set of interactions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can be given the time and trust that it's okay, there's no hurry to find this, we will find our own healing. We will find a way to let go of how we're getting in our own way. And that's mostly what it is. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when we encounter something and have, have a sore wrist or back or neck or whatever, somehow we've sort of a, a fall or some kind of encounter like that, some way we've gotten into um, in the way of our own self-organization. It and is... maybe with that, we've chosen a concept or a, a belief of, um, she's nobody likes me or I'm, I'm not tall enough or I'm not thin enough or all these things that we learn from um, society and... Uh, advertising industry and all kinds of other sources and we buy it and then we hold ourselves in these belief systems and that is held in and in the tissues i feel like in the thoughts in the mind are sort of like the uh um the i'm trying to remember what i how i used to phrase this they're like the belief systems that establish something that we build the body around Mm-hmm. That if we can let the body come back to a, a more pliable state, then the belief system can let, be let, uh, released as well. So they almost become like a, a crystallization or a, a scaffolding that we... Yeah, and then uh, invest themselves in it and say that, well, it's uh, somebody told me as a young boy that if I stood up real straight and held my shoulders back and and didn't cry and do all those things that some societies think a boy should do, becoming a man, then we might carry that same belief system throughout our whole life to a point where uh, we start to, in a later point in life, we don't have breath in ourselves because we're so busy holding so tight that we've literally squeezed out our breath and our inspiration for that matter. And that can be applied to all kinds of shapes of bodies and ideas that we uh, engage in and then build into our system.
so those out in the in radio land recognize we are choosing to have these little bits of space. Even even out there in the world, wherever you might be listening, you can take these little spaces where um, Ravi Das stops talking and go, oh, I have time to think about that, or I have time to experience it. Or even, what am I experiencing? I'm having a response to this. What is it? Yes, exactly. And the response is your own. I'm I'm not here, you know, making a a statement about some kind of philosophy that everybody should have. I'm just uh, I, I want to share most of all the the respect that therapists, teachers of whatever nature need to adopt or adapt to for each and every person in their um, circle of friends or business life or what have you. And how amazing it would be if this is the place we interacted from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would. But uh, it's not always the case, and then um, possibly that resistance uh, becomes our next step for learning. Mm -hmm. So I I had a question going back to some of those patterns or restrictions. Do you find that, mm, that most often they're protective? Yeah, yeah, and that... It's it's entirely possible that at some point we did have a, a startling event or a painful event that we needed to contract around and hold. That's a life impression. Mm-hmm. You know that's why I built my thinking around that rather than the Van Houten method or whatever. Is it becomes you get a chance to recognize that that is something that we have uh, chosen ourselves. We have consciously or con- unconsciously established this this holding pattern and we're sticking with it and then we think that's who we are and I think sometimes we pass them down or inherit them as well like we oh yeah 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 as <laughs> this is something I, I gleaned from uh, Ida Rolf's work uh, quite a bit is uh, you know if you as a child, imagine yourself uh, sitting in a crib and you're watching how mom and dad walk around and maybe your big brother or big sister. And you see that for so long and you're attempting to learn these uh, functional movements of walking and standing and so forth. And you you see the shapes that are walking about you most often and you sort of adapt to that. And maybe there's some genetics in there too about how the body is shaped um, due to that. But there are so many... Uh, self-applied restrictions that come from society, come from our cultures, come from our environment. You know, if we're living in a warm, open climate next to the ocean, uh, it's it's a certain different body type than those living in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So all these things, we take them on and we hold them, and if we don't change environments, we stick with that. If we don't grow with our culture to recognize other cultures think differently then we're stuck in in that culture so it's it's uh, you know this is kind of a side note but i think one of the most um one of the best ways to learn in life is to travel and i know that's kind of random and where do you get that but if you go to different places um in the world especially places you don't speak the language there is such a potential for learning there and seeing how not everybody thinks of life like I do. Not everybody shapes their bodies the way that I do. And these are really good openings for the consciousness to go, hey, maybe I don't have to be exactly like I thought I had to be this entire life. Exactly. That we, As we see the variety, we, we go back to that almost that childlike place of saying, wow, I, I could do it that way? Or what happens if I do this? Or Yes, yes. And if we travel and see this, uh, we get to see other people living a life that is, you know, uh, a satisfying life possibly, or maybe not, but we get a chance to observe and see that there are options to how we have chosen to live our life. And I think that brings up the whole possibility of how, how, how much we are who we are and how much we can change our behaviors and our understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, once again, and I keep bringing it back to this one little space all the time, of that time between doing one thing and the next is so important. 
I mean, we, especially in our Western culture, we've, we've learned to rush so much and thinking that if we do more, we'll succeed somehow. If we go faster, we'll get it all done. And I fall into this as well as everybody else, I think, but some cultures don't do that, particularly in India. Well, you know, in the cities it might be different, but I, I spent some time in India and they live a different life. And um, you might go to the bank and expect, you know, geez, there's nobody in line and I'm standing here with my checks and so forth and they're back there having chai. What's wrong with them? Why aren't they like Westerners and they run up to the thing and they do the business? There's necessity in our lives to have some space between one thought and the next, between one movement and the next. And these things are getting lost in, in the world and particularly in the Western cultures. Yeah, I uh, spent a lot of time in an indigenous community as a child, and my mother always used to tell this one story. She said to my godmother one day, you know, it's really changed. They keep coming out to dance later and later. <laughs> and my godmother looked at her and she said, Olivia, we come out at the same time we've always come out. We come out when, <laughs> we're, we come out when we're ready. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Which is a whole different concept of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it comes together, then it, then it happens. Yeah. So you teach all over the world. How is it different teaching in different places? Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll pick Poland for one, where I've been teaching in Poland for several years. And um, one thing I found, and this, this is not a judgment about our culture, it's just an observation that was delightful to me. I, I teach on a, uh, an organic farm that's an ashram in uh, central Poland, and it's in these beautiful mountains. And so one night, I uh, I left my books down at the barn where we were where we had the classes, and I uh, got up about two or three o'clock in the morning to go down and go over my notes. And so I'm making my way down there, and I open the door, and there's 20 students going over their notes and practicing with one another. This is different. This doesn't happen here, not in America. <laughs> I haven't seen it occur. And, you know, maybe it's because they had an environment for learning, such as, you know, this ashram and this wonderful nature around them and so forth. And maybe it's just the nature of that culture, that they they seem to take things in in a very different fashion. Um, part of it is, you know, their history as, as, a, as a country. They had been oppressed by so many other countries coming through and setting up uh, their military in their country and demanding their behavior in a certain way. And they possibly, at one point when they were um, oppressed by the Russians, uh, they weren't even allowed to speak their own language. They weren't allowed to congregate in groups of more than two for quite a long period of time. So this drives the, the whole culture into itself so they, they don't have outside experiences, so they go inside. And maybe that's why they have such so many good philosophers, so many poets, so many wonderful uh, composers. And maybe that's the nature that I saw in these students of they really <laughs> take it seriously and they learn from the inside out. It's just quite a beautiful experience. And you know, I could go on about that in other cultures I've seen too, but just recognizing and appreciating that differences are possible and, and valid. Is, is really a well, well worth um, traveling experience. Well, and, and because I think it gives us, my understanding is that we learn a lot and we learn a lot by observing. So if we observe people doing really different things, then we think, well, why not try that? Yeah, yeah. Or even other beings, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Other animals, other. So I have a question for you now. So mm -hmm. this is a very unusual life path, even for a body worker, Ravi Das. And did spirit bring this to you? Is this what you came here to do? Um, can you talk a little bit about that, if that's a question that is comfortable and makes sense to you? Because one of the things that I want to present in this show is how people who are trying to figure out how to be who they are and who that is and how to find ways of doing that 
hearing yeah. hearing some stories about how other people found their calling, their path, their bliss, and that it takes yeah. a lot of work. Uh huh. Well, you know, again, our life shapes us to some degree. And I, I remember way back early in my life when my stepmother, uh, I had a stepmother two, well, about three years old, I guess. And she looked at me one day and she she was a very spiritual woman. She read the Bible quite a lot and so forth and saw things quite clearly from her perspective of Christianity. And she looked at me one time, I was maybe four or five at that time, and she says, you know, Don, she called me, or Donald, um, every person is very special, and you have gifts that you'll, you will um, find in your life, and um, you'll, you'll be different, and there's something special about that. Well, at that point in time, I didn't know what to say or what to think about it, but as I reflect on it, it's true. And all the things that occurred in my life up until this point, I, you know, I worked in steel mills, I worked in, um, you know, all kinds of other different sorts of capacities in my life, and I, I found that rather than, you know, resenting it and going, oh, geez, just punching a time card, I hate this stuff, I started to appreciate the camaraderie of the rest of the people that worked in the steel mill or the foundry. Mm -hmm. So I learned something from that. And each thing that came along in, in my life, I, I didn't go, well, geez, I, I sure wish I could um, just sit around and um, um, laugh and meditate all the time, and that would be my life. Well, I thought about that one day. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story about a, this um this older man in, in the foundry where I was working in Ohio, he was the only black man and I was the only hippie. And uh, <laughs> so we connected with one another. And uh, he was uh, he was a very psychic in, individual. And he, he comes up to me one time and he says, Van, he called me Van in those days, that was another nickname. Um, I had a vision of you walking up a hill in, all dressed in white, and um, a bunch of people were following you. And I'm thinking, well, Melvin, I think you missed on that one, but, uh, you know, because I had no outside experience. I lived almost my whole life in the Midwest, so I didn't know any possible thing of that nature. Mm -hmm. Well, after moving to New Mexico, one day it was really hot in the school in what was called the Santa Fe College of Natural Medicine up on Canyon Road in those days. And I had a teepee that I was living in up behind the school. So I said, it's really hot in here. Let's go walk up to the teepee. I'm walking up, and all of a sudden, something stops me. I stop. I look at myself. I look back at the group. Melvin was right. I was walking <laughs> up, up the hill in all white, and all these students were following me. I mean, not, not that I'm that special. I just happened to be the teacher and said, we're not going to go here today. We're going up there. So, but this is, these are things that shape a person's life in a certain way. And, uh, you know, I have, these, these events were foretold by a, um, a black man uh, from North Carolina who didn't know how to read or write, but was one of the wisest people I ever met in my life. Those people are such gifts to us. Aren't they, though? Yeah, so I, I've had the good fortune of running into people of that nature somewhat regularly in life and that that's helped shape me too and you know this is true for everybody's life i'm sure and my my first football coach was quite a special man and he he's helped me think about a little things a little differently and so on and but my greatest teacher was and still is yogananda and he he was my spiritual teacher and still is and that's that's helped me uh grow in a balanced way, I'd say. And what took you into into body work? It's not the necessary path from a steel mill. You don't always end up yeah, doing you know, body work. When I, when Working with structure. Even, even I think in high school there was a time or two, but certainly in my uh, young adult stage, um, somebody would fall or something, and I didn't know why, but I'd just go over and put hands on them. Mm -hmm. and they felt better, and I thought, thought very little of it. I thought, well, wouldn't anybody do that? And uh, that seemed to uh, go along with my stepmother's little statement of, there's something special you're going to do in life. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know, I'm just a 
a blue-collar child from a blue-collar family here in Ohio. I don't foresee anything special other than making steel for a while. <laughs> but things did change, and you know that's that's kind of the way it happens. And next thing you know, you're living in New Mexico or Los Angeles or Sweden, where I lived for a while, and <laughs> these things just move into and back out of your life. And it's such a delightful observation if you don't get stuck on one spot. But I hear that you responded to those and that you heard it. Yeah, yeah. So you heard Melvin and you heard your stepmother, you know, and you heard the pain calling to you or however one would say that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, I think that's each each and every one of us has that responsibility to um, remain open as best we can. I mean, we, we certainly get into cultures, we get into societies that, you know, breed a certain belief system, and we go to schools that breed a certain belief system, but we have the right and the um, challenge sometimes to really have a choice of, well, this person is speaking very different things than I have ever heard. Maybe they're right. Even though I haven't lived that way, maybe they're right. Just some way of staying available. We don't have to accept a whole other cultural belief or religion or any of that sort of thing, but just to be able to have a flexible mind as well as a flexible body. In fact, I think it's first important that we have the flexible mind or the body won't be flexible. Mm -hmm. and, and the flexible beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I'd like to invite you, if this feels comfortable, if you have... Um, any blessing or wisdom or anything you would like to share with the indwelling spirit of those who are listening to us, I'd like to invite you to to do that in any way that feels comfortable to you. Sure. I would encourage myself as well as anybody who has the willingness and inclination to take some quiet time every day. You know, any time you get a chance. And that, that could be one moment between doing one task and the next task, use that space. Don't fill it with a coffee break. Don't fill it with a whatever else you fill it with. Take some time, honor that space inside yourself that is too often in life squished out by the end of life and you feel unsatisfied with what you've um, experienced. Just regularly take some time to just shut up and be quiet. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that as, a, as harsh as it came out, but... Mm -hmm. We do continue to run our mind and run our bodies to a point where we forget that it's in the stillness that we find our true spirit. We'll let that one rest for a while too, huh? Yeah, let's <laughs> sit with that one for just a minute and do it together because I think it's also beautiful to do that in community. Oh, that's very special. As you know, right now we're in a series of movement classes that has to do with... Um, the the phrase stillness and finding it in ourselves and in our tissues and in our bones and so forth. Well, and and in our hearts and in our lungs where we inspire, where we absolutely and I... absolutely yeah yeah. So if there's any little bit of wisdom I could share with your audience, that that would be it. Is just take some time for yourself, some time where you don't have to do anything at all. Just simply close your eyes, be still, and breathe. And maybe even the breath will get quiet. Just it's you deserve it. I mean, we 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 just have been probably since a young child when mom was late for a, uh, an appointment and grabbed us by the arm and yanked us along with her out to the car, not intending to disturb us whatsoever, but it did because as a child we were busy playing and having a great time, and all of a sudden off we go. Just having those kinds of experiences for ourselves and maybe providing it for others, our children, our friends, or whatever, to have the space and the time to digest the learning that takes place for us, to have some internal time with our spirit, our, our inner nature. It's so important. And as I said, you know, we, we learn from our experiences in life of, hurry up, we've got to get to this, we've got to get to that. might be true and it might not be. But if we take a little time to just be with ourselves, we'll know. 
Thank you very much. We have had this wonderful conversation with Robbie Das, and you can find Life Impressions Practice, Life Impressions Institute on the web. And if you're ever in Santa Fe, please come do a session with Robbie Das. We'll allow you to listen to who you really are. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. And thank everybody out there that had any uh, interest in what was being said. And I, uh, I just hope everybody is, has some time to be with themselves. Thank you. All right.